If you remember reading through the Gospels, if you were to pick a disciple who was the go-getter, the intense, uh, speak before thinking, jump into action, you might think of Peter. And I think God redeemed that particular quality, and we see that bleeding through his letter, because his letter is very much not like, hey guys, chill, relax, he'll come back, just busy yourselves with whatever. A very opposite, right? <laughs> to, to be diligent and to, to work hard. And I think that especially as we uh, are in a time where, you know, we're social distancing and there's isolation and there's quarantines and our Thanksgiving, maybe even Christmas plans have changed, certain services, events are being canceled, school looks different, work looks different, it's really easy to be beleaguered, tired, and for that tiredness and weariness to spill over into our pursuit of holiness. And I think Peter would say, if he were standing here now, in a way he is through his letter, uh, now's the time to get energized, not grow weary. And so we want to be challenged by Peter this morning as he closes this letter sort of his last chance, his last paragraph to get us where he wants to get us, where the Lord through him wants to get us. Let's look at that last paragraph in chapter 2 and to be challenged by it. We might be tired, we might feel distracted, um, and we might feel like, man, what I just need right now is just a sermon that's a pick-me-up. Uh, Peter doesn't want to do that. He doesn't want to coddle us. He wants to grab us by the face mask, throw us back out on the field, and say, press toward the end zone. Now! Now, right? Look at how he starts this close to the letter. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things, can we just pause there a second and remind ourselves what these things are? Back up to verse 11. All these things are to be dissolved. What? The heavens, the earth, the stars, the, all of creation is going to be uh, burned and purged through fire to be renewed into a new heavens and a new earth. And we visited that last time. And since all these things are thus to be dissolved in verse 11, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, he goes to it again, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. Verse 13, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So then verse 14 now makes more sense. Therefore, beloved... Since you are waiting for these, since you're waiting for this new earth and these new heavens to be revealed, be diligent to be found by Him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do other scriptures, the other scriptures. Verse 17, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. This final charge starts with a reminder. Remember, Peter 
is writing this whole letter as a reminder. He tells his readers, I'm not giving you something new. I'm reminding you so you can continue to recall these things. And he's not giving them new information in his conclusion. But in verse 14, he's reminding us of the call to be diligent. This is why when, you know, I'm like, well, what are we going to call the series? He said, listen, make every effort, or every effort. That is the clarion call of this passage. You remember in the opening chapter, chapter 1 and verse 5, for this very reason, do what? Make every effort to supplement your faith. And then again in verse 10, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling. Don't just, oh, I have a calling from God. He'll get me home. No, be diligent. Be diligent. Make every effort. And then here in 3.14, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. I think the peace there, is it relational between brothers and sisters? Yes. Is it between us and God? Yes. And some commentators are like, well, which one is it? Yes and yes. It's all of it. This peace, this shalom that's uh, been missing since the fall of the garden is starting to be recreated in the church. But if you're like me, you get blindsided without spot or blemish. When you think of Someone who's without spot or blemish, who do you think of? Jesus Christ, right? The one who fulfills the, the spotless lamb of the Old Testament that was the one of the sacrifice. Obviously, we can't be that lamb because we're not <laughs> blemishless and we're not spotless. But interestingly, Peter is not trying to fit just our categories. He's, he's saying something a little uh, different than when he uses that. To be diligent to be spotless. Be diligent to be without blemish, no marks, no dirty spots, no stains, nothing hidden in the back, nothing under the rug, nothing stuffed away in a closet that's starting to smell. Clean it all out. He's not saying you can be Jesus. He's saying because of Jesus, you can live into this purity. And it takes diligence. I think some of us, we tend to just chalk it up like there's really holy people at church, and then there's those of us who are just kind of like we're just regulars. There's no such thing as regular. Spotless. And so Peter is not trying to create a category of churchgoers that just get a pass because they didn't go to seminary, or they get a pass because they had a rough upbringing. Right? Or they, they feel like, well, I'll never be that. Right? Peter denied Christ. Do you think he's haunted by that? And yet he can give a call to say, let Jesus find us when he returns. And he's like, who do I have? Who's a part of my family? It's the ones who are without spot and without blemish. So to unpack that, we don't have the evidence here in this verse, but we do have to read Scripture in line with other Scripture, just like he calls on other Scriptures that Paul wrote, right? He's saying, what I'm writing isn't in contradiction to other scripture, it's all together. So if you take his line about spot and blemish, there's a couple things we know it can't mean, which forces us to realize what it does mean. It can't mean that we can be Jesus Christ, because otherwise Jesus Christ wouldn't come as the spotless lamb. It doesn't mean we're perfect and we don't need grace. It can't mean that. Nor can it mean, because Jesus Christ is without spot and blemish, you don't have to worry about performing you don't have to worry about making effort. The reason why we know that's not true is because this letter is filled with calls to make every effort and be diligent in what? In godliness, in holiness. 
So it can't mean we're off the hook, don't have to try, and it can't mean we can earn our own spot without Jesus. So it has to mean that because Jesus is the spotless lamb, he has become in his flesh the curtain that we just uh, read about when Tina read that for us, so that we now have access to the divine power that Peter talks about in his opening chapter. Verse 3, his divine power has granted to us all that pertains to life and godliness. So if you realize, well, I can't do it, right, through Jesus Christ, you've been granted divine power to now do it. That's not work salvation. That's works that come from salvation. And there's a big difference. So he's not asking you to earn your salvation. He's asking you to live out the salvation that you have. And if we are the type of Christians that are like, well, God saved me, and the sins that are in my life, you know, it is what it is. We all have our flaws. Maybe you don't have that first thing. But if we are called, if we are elected, then we will push, we will strive, we will scratch and claw and do what it takes to be diligent about purity. And so he, do, he doesn't pull any punches without spot. That's amazing. So imagine, maybe you don't have to imagine because it's true this week or recently, you have a guest coming. They didn't give you a specific time. They didn't say, I'll be there at 3. Or maybe they gave you a specific time and you know 3 o'clock doesn't always mean 3 o'clock. You don't, for whatever reason, you don't know the precise time they're coming. You know they're coming. It might be family traveling, driving from a few states away. And maybe they didn't even kneel, nail down the day. We're going to come early in the week. Imagine a scenario like that. Okay? You know they're coming. You don't have a precise time, but it's sure that they're coming. As the day goes by and the hours go by, you know you have less and less time to prepare the house for your guests. As the hours roll by, you don't get more lax as to preparing for your guest. It ramps up. So the farther something is away, we're like, well, you know, let's clean up a little bit. Let's start getting ready. But you're like, you know, they said early in the week and it's already Wednesday. Probably they're going to arrive any minute. Like, you see your kids just sitting around. They're playing video games. You're like, get off the video games. You grab the broom. You grab the mop. You do the thing. You wipe the windows, right? It ramps up as the days go by. And Peter's saying, as we're awaiting this salvation, do everything it takes. Be diligent to clean up, right? What is the stuff that Jesus is going to come back and be like, you, you seriously, you never fix that? You're still behaving like that? You're still adopting these characteristics that look nothing like me? Get ready for Christ's return. It's a, it's a hard call. And we wish He would say, be diligent in just giving your best effort. Be diligent and just at least be better today than you were yesterday. That's how I tend to put it. Just be better than yesterday, you know, just try <laughs> But Peter, man, he's like, I, I don't, not one spot. Cut it out. Purity, holiness, godliness. And don't get your concept of holiness from Hallmark cards. Go read the Old Testament, right? Anytime someone's in the presence of God, even a messenger from God, they want to die. It is this weighty, powerful, awesome God that we serve. And to be adopted into his family doesn't mean we get to play around. And yes, we may feel beleaguered. We may feel tired. Everyone feels tired. Everyone's beleaguered. What makes us different? 
and everybody else around, me, around us who may be given to being forlorn, overly grieved, succumb to fear and anxiety. I mean, if we take our cue from the apostles, we see that we have a very different perspective on life or death. And before death comes, life is not about avoiding death. Life is about embracing holiness and godliness no matter what it takes. Be diligent. Make every effort. Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. In verse 15 as we're waiting for the Lord, he says, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. So don't think, oh, the Lord hasn't come yet. You know, maybe it's just slow. Maybe he's not coming. Don't do that. Recognize he is coming, and the reason why he's delayed, there's a good reason for it, and you don't have to guess as to the reason. He wants us to come into the fullness of the salvation that he's given us. And like we talked about last week, I don't think that just means evangelize more. I think he's talking about his own readers and that you grow in repentance. You grow in salvation. You have been saved, but you're still being saved. You're still being worked on and changed. The, the, the renovation isn't over. And so we've put the old person behind us, but that doesn't mean we've arrived. If we arrived, we wouldn't need diligence. We need diligence because we haven't arrived. There's still stuff to clean out. There's still stuff to fix. And the Lord is being patient as we do it. In other words, if Jesus doesn't come today and he comes tomorrow instead of today, that means he gave you another 24 hours to be less spotted. Get to work. That's what Peter's saying. If he comes next week instead of this week, that's because God in his patience is giving you one more week to clean up stuff in your life. Get to work. That's Peter's message. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. Here's why, you know, Paul is like everybody's favorite apostle, but here's something really cool about Peter. Peter not only has that uh, egregious moral failure that the Lord got him back from because the Lord prayed for him. He was sifted hard by Satan. The Lord's prayer and intercession got, G got Peter through it. Everyone thinks Jesus got him through it because he roasted some fish on a fire and had a nice conversation with well, that. That was part of it. <laughs> Jesus told Peter, Satan wants to sift you? I prayed. That's the difference. As Peter comes out of it, he's, he's holding the keys of the church, and he's preaching around. Paul publicly rebukes Peter, if you'll remember. Like in front of everyone, Paul is like, you're wrong. That's wrong. You're going back on the gospel, Peter. And then what does Peter do? Read Paul's letters. To be able to take a hit like that and say, this is a, he's a brother. I needed that. And we don't know the timeline of when things or, or, or transpired. I think it's very likely that that exchange already happened. And Peter writes and still commends Paul's letters. Read those. And Paul, Peter's bringing these in. He's like, look, I'm not the only one writing this. You know this from the other letters that you read. And he calls those letters Scripture. And you may feel encouraged that sometimes as you read Scripture, especially Paul's letters, you're like, man, I don't know what this means. You know, I, and, and Peter, he's like, I know. <laughs> Sometimes it's, it's hard to understand. Look what he says. He says, uh, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. He returns to that theme of the false teachers. The false teachers aren't trying to 
peddle another Bible. They're using the Bible to peddle another faith. This is what false teachers do throughout the history of the church. And what he's saying is they take those pieces, like in Paul's letter, for example, that are hard to understand, and maybe he has in mind the things that are related to Judgment Day. Because remember, we talked about these false teachers. They don't believe in this coming judgment, so just live however you want. And he's like, no, no. Judgment is coming, therefore don't live however you want. Live how he wants. Live how he wants to find you. Live like that. But don't listen to these false teachers because the way that they get to that false doctrine that there is no judgment and you can live however you want or maybe a misunderstanding of what Paul means by grace, that you're just, it's all grace, so you don't have to worry about works. Right? To the point where some people doubt the value of the letter of James. James talks too much about work. That doesn't sound like Paul. James must be out. No, you're twisting Paul. James isn't out. And so Peter is saying, these people have always done this. They're always going to do this. They, they take scriptures, they twist them. The Greek can be translated, they torment the scriptures. <laughs> they twist it, flip it into saying what they want it to say, and what happens to them, they are going to be destroyed. We covered that. They're ignorant, they don't know what they're talking about, and they're unstable as to their salvation. Meaning, they don't have stability, there's no foundation. In verse 17, you therefore, not all translations start with the word you, but in the Greek it does, and it's emphatic. You are not them. They're ignorant, they're unstable, they twist scriptures, but you, you're not them, and don't be them. You know what's going on. He says, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, you already know this. Again, I'm not teaching you something new, I'm reminding you. Take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. There are things that are difficult to understand in Scripture, but we are not to twist them. Just because there are difficult parts doesn't mean we get to make up stuff. We need to be diligent about holiness, and we need to be aware that other people don't take it right, and they twist it and manipulate it into something else that isn't right. And if you are susceptible to those things, you will be like the person that tries to cross a river rapid and they don't, lose, they don't have secure footing, and the current takes them. So we've got to cross this river rapid. Everyone has to do it. It's hard. And a lot of people are going to get swept away by currents of error and twisted scripture, cults, and false teachings. Well, hold the line. Keep your footing secure and cross without getting swept away. Do you think that takes effort? Yes. Yes. That takes effort. And if we don't put in the effort, we are susceptible to error. We are susceptible to losing our stability. And what are you like when you lose your stability? You're unstable. And what are unstable people like in verse 16? Headed for destruction. Headed for destruction. You think this passage matters? It matters more than your favorite blog. It matters more than your favorite podcast. It matters more than all the things that we might distract ourselves with concerning politics and COVID virus tracking 
and social distancing protocols. I mean, all the things that are on our minds right now that we're researching and looking up and trying to figure out. This, if we lose sight of this, what's the point of surviving a virus? What's the point? What's the point of it? If we lose sight of this, this is the clarion call to be diligent so that whether we go to him or he comes to us, whichever happens first, he finds us spotless, blemishless, at peace. We don't want to be carried away by error. We want to be stable. We want secure footing. How do we do that? Well, it says in verse 18, grow in the grace, but grow in the grace. So in other words, not unstable, not succumbing to error, but what? So the, the opposite of that, so he's giving you how to do it. How to not be swept away in the current. Here's how you get your secure footing, verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I have to smile when I read, you know, as I prepare sermons, I read commentators and so many of them. And it's, it's great. Somebody has to ask these questions, but it's like, is it the grace of Jesus and knowledge or grace and knowledge of Jesus? Or is it grace, comma, knowledge of Jesus? I'm like, where do we get grace from? Jesus. Who are we supposed to know? Jesus. Who gives us knowledge of him? Jesus does. So the either or categories aren't helpful here. It's the whole shebang. The Christian life looks like someone who grows in grace and you can't claim to grow in grace if you're not also growing in knowledge. And I don't think knowledge here just means relational knowledge. You know, theology is for somebody else. I just want to know the Savior. You know, well, what do you know about him? Right? Imagine somebody telling you, yeah, I'm, I'm married, I love my wife. Oh, what's she like? Well, I don't really know anything about her. But, you know, we're married. I have the paper. I have the paper that says we're married. What does she like to eat? I don't know. I know what I like to eat. Right? Are you really married? To, to, to divorce relational knowledge from informational knowledge is not reality. Of course it takes informational knowledge. We claim to love and serve a God who's provided us a Savior. We claim to love Him and, and appreciate Him. We claim to have a life that's driven by gratitude for it. What do we do to get to know Him? Well, he's not divorcing grace from knowledge. One of the ways you attain grace, appropriate grace, know that you're getting grace, is growing in your knowledge of the Lord and Savior. So interestingly, he tells the readers, you already know. You're not ignorant. You already know. Right? He just said that. And then he ends the letter, but grow in knowledge. Which one is it, Peter? I know or I need to gain knowledge? Both. You know what you're supposed to know, but you don't know everything. You grow in the depth of it. And it's not so much keep getting new things. Oh, I never knew that. But it's the reminding and the recalling and pushing into the depths and the complexities of what you know. So if we claim to know Jesus Christ, we push in that knowledge, we grow in that knowledge, and that's how we grow in grace. We grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and who gets the credit for it? Jesus gets the credit for it. Not to those who make it to the end be glory. Not to those who push hard enough be glory. Not to those who are mature enough in the end get the glory. But to Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Why does He get the glory? 
if we're putting in the work because you can't put in the work unless he gives you the power to do it. And so in the end, Jesus gets all the credit. Now here's the difficulty. Calvinists versus Arminians, denominations versus each other, you know, grandparents against you know, grandsons, within families we have these disagreements. Some Christians really emphasize grace. God does it. He elects. He's the one that calls us. He's the one that's going to take us to the end. In fact, if you look at Jude, who is sort of the mirror epistle to this, many scholars think Second Peter copied Jude and kind of added and made it his own. That doesn't mean copy like plagiarism. It just means sharing knowledge. These guys are apostles writing good stuff. When Jude ends his epistle, he tells us, that it is the Lord himself who is able to keep you stable. It is the Lord himself who is able to keep you from falling. To him be glory. Peter emphasizes the other half. That to him be glory, but you do diligence. Well, who's right? We have to come to the realization that both are right. That if I don't recognize I need God's grace in my life, I can't just earn it. Right? I can't do it on my own. I have to be completely changed. I have to be reborn, regenerated, because if not, I'm just a dead corpse. You don't go to a corpse and like, hey, can you do me a favor today? He's dead. But if Jesus has done a work in us to revive us, he revives us so that we're not dead. And what does a not dead person do? They're animated. They, they do things. And so for someone to be regenerated and be like, I don't have to get to work, what are you regenerated for? If there's life in you, you move and you work and you press. And so both are true. We're completely dependent on God's grace. But if we truly have been changed by God's grace, that change looks like something. And it doesn't look like a really slow, lazy path to holiness. It looks like getting to work and being intense like Peter. To care that there are spots and blemishes that grieve the heart of God. To care that there are certain things that that muddy the peace between us and God and between us and other people. Just like Paul, Peter can refer to Paul who rebuked him publicly and who kind of gets all the credit for writing more scripture and being pretty prominent and calls him a beloved brother. That peace that can only be attained with each other that only makes sense in the grace of God. So God gets the glory for it, but we don't go, Jesus is going to get all the glory for it. I can kind of be lazy. None of us will say that, but sometimes that's how we act. We act like, well, God's going to get all the glory. He's going to come back, do the earth. I mean, what do I have to do with that? Well, he wants to come and find you behaving a certain way. And he wants to come and find you diligent. It's this diligence that he's looking for. It's this making effort that he's looking for. And if we ask ourselves, in what way can we make an effort we can go right to this passage, right here. How can we make an effort in growing? Well, let's start from the bottom and work our way up. He says, grow in the grace and knowledge. Therefore, if we're the kind of Christian that is very relational and emotional, emotions are great, but we're not very keen on the informational side, I think we're missing a really key cog in growing in grace. And in fact, I would say that is the kind of Christian that is most susceptible to being swept away by currents because you can't guarantee how you're feeling from day to day. 
What happens when your feelings are absolutely crushed? When the things that make you feel hopeful and cheery are taken from you? We experience this when it's sunny out, we're like, hey, and then it's gloomy out, we're like, hey. We're, we're creatures that are susceptible to the surroundings. And so feelings are very real, Emotionals, emotions are real, and they're not to be put aside. We're not supposed to be robots. We're not like, you know, is it too nerdy to bring up Spock? Who's like trying to, he's trying to push away all his humanness and just be a robot. That's the story of Spock from Star Trek. He's trying to be this data-only, factual-only. Well, no, that's not a mature Christian. A mature Christian is in tune with emotions, but doesn't live by the emotions. And so we're supposed to go in grace and something objective. What we know, what we know to be true. And how do we know what is true? How do we grow in knowledge? I mean, he's not talking about math. He's not talking about go read a geology book. What is he talking about? Scripture, because he just finished talking about it. He says in verse 15, he references the beloved brother Paul who also wrote to you the wisdom given him as he does in all his letters. And then he says, uh, the ignorant and unstable middle of verse 16, twist them as they do the other scriptures. So what, what Peter's doing is, I'm writing to you this authoritative information that you need to know and be reminded of, that you need to recall to yourselves. Paul also wrote similar information, and it matches what is done. Well, people take that out of context like they take other scriptures. So what Peter's doing is what I'm writing you and what Paul has written you is on the level with all the scriptures, all the Old Testament and the other apostolic letters. It's all authoritative information. I think if Peter were reading this letter aloud to a congregation and the congregation pulled him out into the lobby afterwards and was like, Peter, really great stuff, really good letter, loved it, so encouraging, I like it, I like how you patch things up with Paul, really cool. How do we gain knowledge? I think he'd be like, are you serious? That whole last thing I was talking to you about Scripture. Other people twist Scripture. Well, what are we supposed to do with it? Learn it. Grow in it. Now, some of us love to read. Others of us, it's a struggle to read. Some of us are well-educated. And we can interpret texts. We know what exposition is. We know it in some way or sense. We know what hermeneutics is. You did it in college with poems. What did the author mean? Here's what I think it means. How do you know what it means? There's evidence within the poem to show you that this is what the author is pointing at. He uses symbols this way. Some of us really geeked out. Some of us almost fell asleep in the last 10 seconds when I was explaining that. Some of us dropped those courses in college. Some of us maybe didn't get the opportunity or didn't even want to go to college, which is fine. Some of us were trying to build a library at home. Some of us can't remember the last time we read a book. It's not about whether someone's a bookworm or not. God in his providence has decided to communicate to you what you need to grow in grace and what he has decided in that providence is to inscripturate it. So we don't get the option. Ah, some people read scripture, I listen to music. Some people read scripture, I like to take nature hikes. No, 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 no. All those things, how you're supposed to experience those things are shaped by scripture. And in fact, Paul tells us in Romans, nature is not enough. 
Nature is only enough to condemn you. You know God exists out there, but you don't have what you need to grow. You don't have what you need to access grace. Just taking hikes. Just looking at mountain sceneries. Beautiful, yes. Majestic, yes. Does it do something to your heart, your mind? Yes. But then you need to insert something objective. That's information. So everybody needs to be a bookworm, at least in one respect. The Bible. As I was reading through this letter, and I was reminded in my preparation for the message that when this letter was written, most likely churches uh, had, maybe not every church, but some churches had, as one, as one commentator put it, they likely had a chest somewhere in the house. If they were meeting in a house church or wherever they were meeting, there's a chest, and they have most or all of the Old Testament scriptures in there if they were able to afford such a copy. It's long before the printing press. There's no internet. There's no, oh, the Wi-Fi printer's not working. Like to have a physical copy of Scripture, if your church had it and you wanted to read it, you've got to go to church to do it. And then what about the New Testament? Well, imagine it was our situation. Well, there's there's a church in Madison, Wisconsin, They've got that letter that Peter wrote. Can we read it? Yeah, guess what you've got to do? Go to Madison, Wisconsin. No cars. No Uber. I'll get an Uber. I'll get an Uber and go to, I'll go check out that letter. It took time to get copies. So think about the treasure. We've got to grow in knowledge, but we don't have access to all of it. We've got to work hard just to get access to it. Here we are 2,000 years later. You want it in English? Yeah, I want it in English. Well, which one? Which one do you want? Do you want the blue jeans version, the breezy version? you want the tight, wooden, literal translation version? you want to listen to it? We have all these Hollywood actors reading it out loud to you while you're driving. You can listen to Scripture being spoken to you by professional actors. you want to put the song? you want big font or small font? you want a heavy Bible? Or do you want a Bible that fits in your pocket? you want double column, single column? There's never been a people of God that have had access to Scripture like the American church. And it's a shame when a day, a week, a month goes by and we don't sit under it. This is how we grow. We don't get to make up how we grow. We grow in knowledge. And we get knowledge from Scripture. And we do it together. Might I point out, that the you, Y-O-U, words in this epistle are plural. You, beloved, the group. And so we do this together. How do we protect ourselves from error? We together grow in knowledge. And we do whatever it takes. It doesn't mean we don't do knowledge on our own. Of course we do it on our own. We do it on our own and we do it together. And so as we think about how to apply this in our lives, I really don't have anything imaginative. I don't have anything really creative. You've got to read the Bible. It doesn't, however you do it. <laughs> Develop a morning routine. Develop a morning routine and work it into the morning routine. Somewhere in between brushing teeth and the third cup of coffee, put something in there about spending time with God's Word. Read a page, read a paragraph, read a psalm. Read a chunk of the Proverbs, something. 
reflect on it, pray it, jot something down as you, you know, to force yourself. If I have to write something down in response to it, that means I have to actually pay attention to what I'm, to what I'm reading. Otherwise, I can just read it, close the book, and be like, okay, I did it, check. But did you gain knowledge? And so keeping a journal or some way to just like, you know, I learned this, or I'm going to pray this as a result of what I just read. It forces you to go, did I just understand anything of what I just read? You won't understand everything that you just read, but did you understand something out of what you just read? Well, take that with you. That's what you treasure up in your heart. And so it's not just read it, close it, move on. It's, it's a time to study. And so if you've got to jack yourself up a little bit with the caffeine, go ahead, get the caffeine. I'd rather you be addicted to caffeine and Scripture than just addicted to caffeine. Do what it takes to get up a little bit earlier, maybe stay up a little later, and get into God's Word. You might need help understanding it. Get a, some kind of devotional literature that helps you understand it. If you're going to read through John, do you think there's materials out there that help you understand what John is saying? Yes! Start with a study Bible. They have some information in the column. I don't really know what that word means. And then in the corner, here's what it means. Oh, great. Didn't even have to turn to another book. Yet another abundant resource we have, the NIV study Bible, ESV study Bible. There's all kinds of study Bibles with notes that'll help you. Then, of course, when we come together in our groups, hey, I was reading this this week. Before we get to the growth group questions, I was reading this this week, and I'm confused. Anyone have anything on this? Oh, yeah, I remember I was trying to crack that nut last year. See, each other, each other. And I'll tell you this. I, I try to communicate to the growth group leaders. Look, the questions are there for guidance, but if somebody else has a question, or question number two kind of dominates the whole group and everyone's just really like, man, let's go after it. Don't worry about three, four, and five questions. Like, the questions are there to get discussion going, to gain knowledge. That's what it's there for. We're not trying to pass a quiz, Right? But come to the group, maybe with some questions sometimes. Hey, I was struggling with this this week. Not understanding this this week. Hey, I was struggling with this. Found this note. Thought you guys or ladies would find it helpful. And share. Share that knowledge with one another. Because if we don't take that seriously, we're at risk of losing our own stability. To be stable, we have to be studious. You don't have to be studious in any other way but you have to be studious this way. We are bookworms when it comes to the Bible. So let's leave here with a sense of diligence of what it takes to make every effort. And I think at least for all of us, we at least start making that effort by ramping up how studious we are in gaining the information and grace we need from Scripture itself. As the worship team come on, comes back, uh, I want to invite you to stand, and I'll start us with a prayer.